we have been in the midst of a relationship series. And I must confess that I began to move in this direction around Monday of last week. Couldn't fully understand why at the time, but I'm thankful to God for God's providence. As we look at something that may seem a bit strange, which is our relationship to pain. Our scripture this morning will come from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, and it reads as follows. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And he asked them, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near to the village which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight and they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? In that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. God, may this moment be only what you desire it to be, and may you give to us what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. So my daughter, Kaya, was about 
one and a half when my father passed away. And my husband and I noticed that as she grew older, age two, age three, age four, every night when we prayed before bed, she would continue to pray for Baba Don. And I thought it was a beautiful thing. And so, you know, I just allowed it to continue. But then I became very curious because I was wondering, is this just her way of processing what had happened or her way of trying to conceive of what had happened? And so I decided to just engage her a little bit around it. And so one night she was praying and I said to her, I said, Kayo, you do know that Baba Don is, and she says, dead. I said, yes. I said, but you still pray for him. I said, what are you thinking when you do that? She says, oh, I'm thinking that he's going to come back like Jesus did. <laughs> she says, and I keep waiting for him to come back, mama. Do you know when he's coming back? And I'm like, uh, babe. I said, look, I said, we do believe that Baba Don is living somehow. I said, but it's really a mystery. Like, we really don't understand how all of that works. I said, but... I do not think that he's going to come back in the way that will keep us from missing him and wanting to hug him in the same way. And I look up at her face and she's all confused. I said, that's all right, baby. I said, let's just keep praying for Baba Don. She said, okay, let's do it. Jesus had died. And he had died in such a way that anyone witnessing his death would have been traumatized by it. But I don't think we name often that his disciples in particular, those who loved him, his family members who saw this, were traumatized. And so as our passage comes in, what we see are two traumatized followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And they are doing what we often do in the midst of pain and trauma. They were rehearsing and conversing, trying to rewind, trying to rework it, trying to convince themselves that what was a reality was not, even though they knew that it was. They are talking about these things in disbelief when Jesus approaches them, but they do not recognize who Jesus is. And so this stranger named Jesus comes up to them and he says to them, he says, why are you so sad? What are you talking about? And they look at him like he's crazy. They're like, what? Like, who are you? Where did you come from? Are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that does not know what has happened? Really? Like, how have you not heard? And he says, what things? Tell me. And so they have to engage this very strange Jesus telling him the things of their heart, the things that they are grieving over. And so they said to him, they said, you know, the women went and found an empty tomb and the disciples went and they found an empty tomb and they were told that he has risen. He was like, but you know, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And Jesus says, oh, how foolish you are. And he begins to reveal to them all of the things in Scripture that had been told to them, helping them to understand what they had not understood before. And so they walk on and they are about to go their separate ways and Jesus moves ahead. And they begin to be a little nervous because something about his presence has moved them. And he's like, no, 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 don't. Don't go, just stay with us for a while. And so because he is asked, Jesus stays, and they sit down at the table. Finally, something familiar 
in this strange occurrence. And immediately their eyes are opened and they know that it is Jesus. And they go and tell the disciples. So there are seasons in and out of my life when I'm just tired. You know, when your mind is tired, your body is tired, your spirit is tired, right? Everywhere you turn, it just seems like inundation over inundation over inundation, right? When you're holding your own pain and the pain of those who love you and the pain of the world and the pain of the nation and you, you find yourself in this place where healing and justice just seems like something you just don't want to do anymore. Just want to step away from it. And in those moments, I find myself not really able to swallow what I call Christianese. You know, when people come up and say, oh, be not weary and well-doing. Uh, I'm about five miles past be not weary, right? I've been weary for a year. You know, you can't stomach those kinds of, of things as people try to, you know, make your pain go away so they don't have to feel bad about your pain. And so I can remember in one of these seasons recently, and I will have many more of these seasons, as we all will, the hope is that we learn and grow every time the season comes around. But I can remember being in one of these seasons not too long ago and found myself asking, in my relationship to pain, what am I missing? Like if this thing called life, this thing called healing, this thing called justice, this thing called resurrection won't let me go, do I need to hold it differently? What am I missing in my relationship with pain? Because I'm very much in a relationship with pain in these seasons of my life. And I believe that God brought me to this particular passage at a particular season of my life. And I just want to name, not as steps or as the way to, but simply what is and what I feel like God has extracted for, from this passage for me. I just want to name what is in such a way that perhaps God might meet you in the way that God met me. Now, if for someone is sitting here and they're saying, you know, this seems like a mighty self-serving sermon, I apologize in advance, but all any of us can give is what we have and is what I got. Amen? So give us sister some grace, please. The first thing I feel like God was really pressing me on in this season is that our relationship to pain can make our encounters with Jesus feel strange. Like Jesus was a stranger. Now, I grew up hearing this passage preached and taught in such a way that it said that, you know, that Jesus in some kind of supernatural way kept them from, from seeing who he was or that he had been transformed in some way. And that might be, but as I was able to look at this through a different lens, look at this from the lens of where they were sitting, I realized that that may not have necessarily been the place or the, or, or the truth or the reality of what was happening in this space. The passage does not say that Jesus kept them from recognizing him. It just simply says that they didn't recognize him. A few years ago, two psychologists did an experiment where they videoed six people 
Three had on white t-shirts, another three had on black t-shirts, and they were passing two basketballs back and forth as they moved positions. The experiment was about people watching the video and having to count how many times the people in the white t-shirts exchanged the ball. And after it was over, they were asked to give the number, and then the people who were leading the experiment said to them, who saw the gorilla in the middle of the video? Only 50% of the people saw a man in a gorilla suit in the middle of the video. The other 50%, when they rewound the video, right, were surprised to find that a man had walked out midway through the video, banged his chest, and walked off the other side. And they had completely missed it, hadn't seen it at all. Another man, Richard Wiseman, says that people miss the gorilla for the same reason they miss opportunities in their life. That our brains are really good at recognizing what we want to see. That we can become so focused on what it is that we want to see that we can miss things that are obvious but unexpected. And it had me wondering, it had me thinking, okay, so was it that Jesus looked completely different or was it that they had no expectation whatsoever that in the midst of such a hard, unbelievable situation that Jesus could possibly show up? Was it that they just had no expectation that Jesus would be close? And therefore, it's no way that this stranger could be Jesus. And if I'm being honest with myself, when I'm in pain, Jesus feels very strange and distant. Because I do not have an imagination of how such a dismal situation can be resurrected. It's just a reality. For those of you who haven't heard the sermon last week, Todd's sermon, you might want to go back and listen to it when you're ready. But then that had me thinking about something else. When we start talking about expectation and we start talking about imagination, isn't that really about hope? They said we had hoped, as in past tense. And here's another thing that I found about my relationship to pain. It makes me feel like hope is a thing of the past. They said we had hoped that he, meaning Jesus, would redeem Israel. And it had me thinking, like, what would redemption look like for them? Like, what would redemption look like for me? Like, do I really have a concept of what that would look like? A good friend and mentor of mine once said that, you know, this is really more of an issue of, like, faulty reasoning. That, like, the children of Israel could not imagine how in the world they could get across the Red Sea. And so they were willing to go back into slavery, into oppression, rather than realize that Jesus, well, God was doing something far beyond their imaginations. And so I went back to the passage and I said, okay, God, what am I missing? And then I realized that Jesus had not expected them to know how what was going to happen was going to happen, simply that it was. I mean, he was here for the first time revealing scripture to them. Think about when Jesus walked the earth and we read all those scriptures, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was speaking in parables, y'all, that's riddles. It made no sense to them. But here for the first time, Jesus is explaining scripture. Jesus had no expectation that they knew how it was going to happen, simply that it would. And this was perhaps the first time in my life where I realized that hope is not seeing or knowing the way out, it's simply believing that there is a way out. 
And if, if I do not believe there is a way out, if I do not have hope as a follower of Jesus, particularly with all the things going on in this world right now, then I can justify doing nothing. But then that brought up something else for me. Isn't faith without works dead? And what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Perhaps as they were grieving the death of the Savior, what was really dying inside was their faith in this moment. And this shook me, y'all. It shook me because they had received testimony from Scripture that this would happen. They had received testimony from Jesus that this was going to happen. They had received testimony from the women who went to the tomb and talked to the angel. They had received testimony from the disciples that the tomb was empty. They had received testimony. It wasn't an issue of whether or not evidence was there. The question becomes, what was the essence of their evidence? Faith is the substance. Faith is the evidence. And so if their essence, the substance of their faith was missing, what is that? Jesus. Jesus is their substance. They knew Jesus to be human, but could it be that they had not fully conceptualized that Jesus was also divine? Fully divine. That Jesus was also God. And if Jesus was God and Jesus was human, that changes the paradigm. That changes everything. But because they had not seen Jesus, and who is Jesus? The way, the truth, and the life. Because they could not see the way. They were in a moment where their faith was in crisis. This was an issue of faith. But then I had another dilemma because you know, I get why they were in despair. Doggone it, I would have been in despair, right? I get why they had lost hope. You don't experience these things in life and then just act like they don't happen. Like, I get it. Like my conversation with my daughter, Kayo, like, come on, y'all. Everlasting life, resurrection is above my intellectual pay grade, right? Who can really grasp that? None of us really can. And then they are called foolish for it. And I was mad. I'm reading this passage and I must admit, I was mad as I'll get out. Jesus, why are you calling them foolish? I'm sorry. Why don't you get it? Where's the grace? But then I noticed something else. I noticed that they were on this road to Emmaus. And though they had lost their hope and though they were in the throes of grief and though they had no expectation whatsoever that Jesus would meet them there, they were not looking for Jesus. Jesus had come to where they were. Jesus had met them on that road, even though they had not started on that road looking for Jesus. That in the midst of our relationship with pain, even when we cannot recognize Jesus, even when we cannot feel Jesus, Jesus will still come and be right where we are. 
And then Jesus does what? He stays because they invite him to stay. And then he does what? He feeds them because that's what he does. They had engaged this strange Jesus long enough for him to become familiar again. And they had not brought pretense. They had not brought pretty words. They had not made this stranger feel good. They was like, you crazy. How do you not know what's going on? Right? They weren't mincing words. They brought their whole honest selves. Jesus met them on the road and they engaged in their honesty. And then all of a sudden, Jesus becomes familiar again. But they had to walk the road before they got there. And then Jesus, in the moment of recognition, vanishes. I guess that's what Jesus does. He vanishes. And then they say, did not our hearts burn within us? And I had to wonder about this because, you know, there was a part of me that says, okay, I can get with this. I can get with this. You know, when I'm not in seasons of pain, I can see all of this clearly, right? It's when I'm in the seasons of pain when it's such a struggle. I was like, but when I am engaging this not inside um, a season of my relationship with pain, I have to ask the question, why didn't Jesus just show up and say, hey, it's me. I'm back. Like, why did Jesus leave them guessing? And then I had to come back to this, this, this part of the passage that simply said, did not our hearts burn within us when he was near? And I had to ask myself the question, could it be, could it be that this was a part of the process of them coming to more fully know the fully human and fully divine Savior? You know, it's kind of like you can't really know the gift of water unless you've been thirsty or the gift of food unless you've been hungry. But let me be very clear. I need you to hear me. I need you to be very, very clear about something. I am not saying at all that pain happens so that we can be taught a lesson. That is not what I am proclaiming. I am proclaiming here that pain in this world that is broken is inevitable. Is gonna happen. And so God chooses to use it as a conduit of redemption. And if that is true, if God was using this moment as a way of expanding the depth and the breadth of their understanding of God, then that means that their crisis of faith became a step in the process. That there are some ways in which our faith ain't really our faith unless we've doubted it unless we've struggled it, and in some cases, maybe even lost it. G.K. Chesterton said that Christianity has not been tried and found lacking or wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. And so in this way, the doubting of our faith, the ways and the moments in which faith is slipping through our fingers does not mean that God loses God's grasp on us. And all of this kind of culminated in a moment for me on my way to work one morning. I was listening to Lecrae. Some of y'all might know Lecrae, Lecrae's album. And his song 828 came on. And the words are, um, it's going to all work out sooner or later. 
Don't you worry about tomorrow. It's going to work out in your favor. And I started to cry because I realized that I was in that particular season of my life. I had started to believe that it wasn't going to work out. I had started to believe that this stuff, all this stuff that we hold and experience in this world was way too big. And I realized in that moment that even though I had continued to pray for people, I continued to show up for people, I continued to give hope to people, that my experience in this process was diminishing. Because I was so proximate, not just to my pain, but to the pain of so many other people, that it was hard for me to see how in the world this stuff was going to work out. And in that moment, I realized that perhaps I had been believing internally that Jesus really wasn't God. Like, had I been acting in this moment like God was dead? Had I been denying the resurrection in this moment? And it was like God literally reached out and touched my heart. It was like I was struggling to breathe and didn't know it, and God gave me an oxygen mask. And I breathed deep, praying my babies weren't going to be too scared in the back seat because mama was like snot-nosed, ugly crying. <laughs> I was on Newburn Avenue going to work, not looking for God, but God had come to Newburn Avenue to find me. And I realized in that moment that I don't have the answers. That no, I, I don't know how all of this is going to work out. But that my darkest moment of faith became the test of my faith. That my faith was made real in its darkest moment. Because that is, in truth, what faith is. I realized in that moment that however all of this is going to work out is not because I get it right or because my faith is perfect. I don't know how the mess of this nation is going to be healed. I don't know how those who are abused are going to receive justice and healing. I don't know whether or not Baba Don, um, how he lives or how he will live again. All I know is that all of these things will only be possible because Jesus was not just human, but Jesus was also divine. It will only be possible because God has a way of finding me when I stop seeking God and reminding me that he's always been there and that God will always be there. So maybe what I had been missing in the midst of all of this was God. Just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious and merciful God, when we do not have the words to pray, we simply pray simple words over and over again. And so we will pray for a third time today. Meet us where we are and give us what we need. In Jesus' name, amen.